Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Um, it's good to pray for people. It's good to worship. Um, it's good to be encouraged to get involved. And uh, as I think I mentioned last week, we are about to start... Um, a new series today and I think the backdrop to this is this whole thing of God um, calling us to build and establish um, a a church here in Brixton um, that is full of grace which means that we accept people which means that we receive people just as Christ received us that's also centred around Christ. It's not centred around um, uh, just our need for community or our desire to help. It's centred uh, uh, primarily around Jesus because that's, he's the one that brings us together. There is no other deep reason for us coming together other than him. And if you keep your church centred around Christ, it means that your church can become full of very, very different people. Because it's not, it's not a social club, it's not a, um, a place where you just go for friends, it's a place where you go to meet Jesus and, and gather to him. So, so people who want to gather to Jesus don't all look the same, they're not the same age, they're not from the same background, and so if you keep it focused around that, that really helps. It also helps if your small groups are also focused around uh, knowing more about Jesus. It, it helps when they're like that, because again, you can, you can bring in a much broader range of people, so it's to be Christ-centered. It's also to be a um, a church which is led by the Holy Spirit. That we value the gift of prophecy. We we value the uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this church, and um, that's a major part of what we want to build into the church. And that they would find their rightful place among us. And it's also a place um, where we want to see God honoured and. Uh, what we mean by that is we want to follow what God says. Um, and though that can be tricky in a culture that doesn't do that, but we want to follow what God says. And so um, our, our aim is to kind of build that kind of church. And so one of the ways that we've, or we, I've thought about that, has been to take this idea of a village. And you need to know I've never lived in a village. So how many of you have ever lived in a village? So a few people. So some of you, and how many of you have lived in a village in this country? Yeah, so, so Ben, what, were, you, were you raised in a village? Okay, so Ben was, how many of you have lived a village, a village abroad? Okay, so, so Thierry, where were you raised? What kind of village were you? I thought you were, were raised in Kigali. Okay. A village in Congo. Okay, so we've got a village in Congo. And where was your village, Ben? In Horsham, okay, yeah, <laughs> villages, yeah. So they're both, they're both villages, and some of us understand what we mean by village. I wasn't raised in a village. I was raised about six miles away in Catford, and uh, it wasn't a village, that's for sure. It was uh, um, another part of London, and there were all sorts of things that went on there that probably don't go on in villages, at least not publicly. Um, and, uh, and yet there is something about this idea of a village when we're trying to build the community of the church. And so this is really about how we build community. Because one of the things that the Bible says in John 17 is, 
is if the church gets it right, it doesn't use these words, but you know what I mean. If the church gets it right when it comes to unity, people will come, people will know. So although there are other ways of doing mission, there is this very fundamental way that that people will see by the way the church functions, God God is in the place and they will come as a result. It's this idea of a safe haven, but not an exclusive one. It's not exclusive in the sense that it's open to anyone, this village that we're trying to build, but it must be known and it must be made clear that in this community, in this village, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. So you can have villages based around all sorts of things, but in this one, Jesus is king. It's his kingdom that sets the culture, the values, the standards. He's the person who reigns and rules. And you may not know Jesus for yourself yet, but you can be part of the village in which he's king in that journey. But you must know it's his community. The idea of it takes a village is this. No man or woman is an island. As much as many of us want to be islands, we're not islands. Yeah? You can achieve very little alone. Yeah? If you are... I'm a big sports fan, armchair sports fan, let's be honest. Um, the days of playing sport have, have drastically dwindled. I do every now and then, but I'm an armchair sports fan. And, and one of the guys I do love to watch is uh, Andy Murray, a, a, is a tennis player. And, and tennis is like an individual sport. It's him v someone else. But if you ever listen to Andy Murray talk, it, he talks so much about his team that although he goes out and wins matches and does stuff, he'll totally acknowledge, I could not do this alone. I I can't do it on my own. I I don't have the ability to make it work on my own. People gravitate to community, partly because no man's an island and you you can do very little alone, but also because we are essentially relational. We look for people. We look for community. That's how God made us. The village is the smallest sustainable community in the world. Yeah? You can live in a village. Yeah? Those of you who've been there, you'll know there are people who simply live around the the village. They busybody around the village. They don't actually need anyone else. They've got the village, they're looking over the garden. You know how it works. It's the smallest sustainable community anywhere in the world. From a, well, I went to Kenya back in May and we saw Maasai villages to the village that we call it anyway, down in Brixton. There's a village apparently in Brixton. It doesn't look like the Maasai village, uh, but it's a village nonetheless. What villages do is they provide everything, basically, that one needs. Your food, it can provide work, relationships, education, health care, communication. You're in the village by virtue of just where you live. You're just, you're just in that village. That's how it works. Whether it's geography, sometimes it's around identity, common identity. It's your choice, however, how much you participate in village life. You'll know that in some villages, people don't participate at all in the village life. But villages do have a life, whether, whether it's an African village that will have maybe a council of elders that run it, or whether it's a village here that will have like a village hall and a parish council that run it. Villages have a community, and they have people who lead them and are responsible for them. 
Our world today is described as a global village in the sense that we are all now so connected that things that can occur on the other side of the planet can be known by somebody here before they're known by people who live a few miles away. Communication has made it possible for us to become aware of things as they happened. That, that's new to the world. Yeah? Imagine if that kind of communication was around in the mid-19th century when, when, if you like, Britain was working its way through democracy and, and we were working our way out of uh, slavery and all those kinds of things. Imagine if the communication we have now was back then, was around back then. It's very different. You become accountable to people that you've never met. You don't know anything about. And although we live in this global village, there is also this reality that people are looking for community. They're looking for what the village offers them. They're looking for a sense of belonging. They're looking for a sense of identity. They're looking for a place to invest. And Brixton's really interesting. It's one of those places where people want to invest in it. You go around it, you'll find it's broken up into lots and lots of little communities where people get a little gathering together. They become a little like um, group where they're, they're running something on behalf of the community. It's happening all over the place. People want to belong. People want to invest their time and their lives into something. The village is a natural part of the way people work. Okay, we use that term now, but it's a natural part of how we work. People want to be in community together. They want to celebrate together, look after their children together. They want to spend time together. They even want to die together. People want to live in community. People want to live in this idea of villages. Local churches although we never use this phrase really, have the potential to be wonderful villages. Wonderful villages. Built on a very different foundation. Because the truth is we all live in some kind of village and many of us live in many villages. We, live in, we have many groups of people that we try and want to belong to. A place of belonging, a place where you find identity and purpose it's that old African proverb it takes a village to raise a child you can't do it alone no matter how good you are you can't do it alone most of our children will go to school I know some people do private education but really it takes a village to raise a child the Bible says this in Philippians 2 verse 4 this idea of the village that it's not just about me let each of you look not only into his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Fundamentally, that's what it's about. We're looking not to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. It should be recognised that though we can build a village, to people outside the village, villages can look strange, can't they? Yeah. When we were, um, when we were early in our married life, we used to go and holiday down to uh, um, a, a kind of a mobile home caravan site near uh, oh, I can't near Canterbury, near Whitstable, near Margate. I remember going down there. And there was a little village down there. And, and from the outside, it just looked a bit strange. It just looked a bit odd. 
but I'm sure to the people in the village it was a very important part of how they lived. So we want to address this idea of the village on two levels, really. We want to look at some of the the principles that underpin the kingdom of God and the church as a village, because it's it's kingdom principles that make it. And secondly, we want to look at the practical outworking of what does that look like for a church like us? Because at one level, it can just appear like uh, a sort of an idealistic dream. Oh, yeah, the church is a village. It's wonderful. How can we actually make that work? So this morning we look at one particular passage. And, and this, I suppose, I'm, I would argue, I would put, is the key principle that the village that, uh, that Jesus is king of, it's the key principle that is required in that village and to make that village work. And that the community in which God dwells won't function without this. And it does have a implications for us and it does bring a challenge to us so I'm going to be reading a passage from Philippians uh, chapter 2 I think the one that might go up there oh no it's the right one it's the ESV and uh, I have got my NIV but I don't want to distract you by trying to read that as I did last week so I'm going to read slightly bigger text Um, uh, I don't want Hannah laughing at me again (laughs) Um, and causing other people to laugh at her as she laughed at me. Okay. So this is what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you that we are stirred in our hearts simply by reading the truth of your word. I pray that today you will penetrate our hearts with that truth, you will open them, and you will begin and continue a transforming work in Jesus' name. Amen. What I love about this passage, and why I went for the ESV over my normal translation, is it just says this, have this mind among yourselves. So the NIV talks about your attitude should be the same as. But this is more corporate than that. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. It's almost like because of Christ, it is now possible for us to have this mind that he had. We're to have the mind of Christ, who, 
though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I don't know how many of you ever went through the phase of wearing that little wristband, what would Jesus do? And, and people, re- uh, you know, they wore those wristbands and, and it was almost like the wristband was a reminder when I'm in life, I'm going about my business, I'm doing my thing, I'm about to do something or I'm not sure and I'm like, oh, what would Jesus, oh, what would Jesus do? Yeah, well, do you know what Jesus did? He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. That's what Jesus did. And that was fundamentally what he did, which separates him out and which makes the gospel possible for us. He did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped. So there is a certain mind that we have to have, and it's a supernatural mind, because that's not a natural thought. We all grasp. Yeah? Behind that idea of grasping is is justice is rights is it was his right to grasp actually but he didn't take his rights that's very difficult for us not to take what is rightfully ours there is a certain mind it's a supernatural mind that we are to have and we're to have it among ourselves it's not just you have it and you have it and I have it no we are to have it among ourselves And it's ours in Christ. This idea of grasping. This is a challenge. The challenge of our idea of equality and our modern form of democracy. It touches us right there. So we have a democracy which has existed for now, uh, I suppose, a few hundred years or I don't know how long, I don't remember when it started. We certainly weren't born then. Um, But one person, one vote. And obviously that's a a great thing. One person, one vote. And if you remember, remember years and years ago, only men could vote. And then, um, you know, sort of 100 years, less than 100 years ago, about just over 100 years ago, women got the vote and some women died for that. And so it's a big thing that women can vote. If you think about in, in the United States of America, black people got the vote like in the 60s and in South Africa in the 80s and 90s, they got the vote. Really important democracy. One person, one vote. But modern democracy has changed somewhat. There's still one person, one vote. But we're a little bit more like, well, when it doesn't go my way, I no longer accept it. We still all have one vote, but if the vote doesn't go my way, I'm asking for another vote. I'm saying something's gone wrong here. The wrong decision was made. When it doesn't go my way, we want another vote. I try to change it. Also, when it doesn't go my way, I simply seek to undermine those whose way it did go. I don't accept it and go, okay, you know, we're all in this together. No, I I go, right, I'm going to hold on to my position. I was reading an article the other day about It talked about, rather than the United States of America, it talked about the divided states of America in this article. And it talked about the fact that uh, their election, which obviously their presidential election race, which is going on right now, and they're going to have an election in November, it's it's not like a big discussion all around the country where people are undecided. 90% of the people know which way they're going to vote. 
The, the candidates don't go to 90% of the country. There are very, very few places in the states where this actually really swings on. It doesn't matter what you say. It just matters which side you're on. So one man or one person, one vote doesn't mean that we get the right thing. It just means we get the thing that I believe or the thing that you believe. I mean, we might be a little bit less like that, but there is definitely something about we don't like to accept it. Imagine if in a family, we've got a family of five, myself, my wife, and our three girls. Imagine if we, we said, look, we're going to decide what we're going to do like next Saturday. And we said, OK, let's just, let's just take a vote on it. And imagine if the girls all said, we vote to go to uh, Legoland. Now, they won't do that. They're a bit old now. In fact, Pauline is more likely to vote for Legoland <laughs> than the girls. But let's just say the girls vote for Legoland and Pauline and I uh, vote to go to um, Chesington. Yeah? Now, three, two, we could go, OK, the girls win. Let's all go to Legoland. Or we could go, OK, OK, the girls have won, but we really have casting votes here. Yeah? Because we're driving there. So we can decide... Or we could go, okay, we'll go to Legoland, but we're never going to be happy about it. Do you know what I mean? So democracy, it's not like we all just accept it. Sometimes our democracy nowadays divides rather than unites us. Jesus' actions are very, very different to that. And remember, his actions should inform and influence our actions. Yeah? His actions was not to grasp what was rightfully his. He had absolutely every right to be seen as God because he was God. He had every right to sit at the right hand of God and to be counted equal with God. But it says he did not do that. He did not grasp it. He did not force it. He did not make it happen for himself. He did not do that. Naturally, we do that. You grasp it. You force it. There's a sense of injustice. And some of us think that injustice, well, well, God doesn't like injustice. There's an element, of course, where God doesn't like injustice. But fundamentally, Jesus' response, you could argue, was unjust. Why should he have to give up all that was rightfully his? But he willingly gave it up. He did not count equality. We can make a big thing of equality. Jesus did not count equality something to be grasped. And it's equality that was his right. It was his. He didn't count it as something to be grasped. What did he do? He did an intentional, humble act. It says he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He became like us. Now, it's hard for us to understand this because because we don't have all the rights of being God. Yeah? We don't have all those rights. Jesus had rights that we don't even know about, but he made himself nothing. But what we can understand is this is how he did it. This is how he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He gave it up. He stopped fighting 
He stopped going, this is for me. He humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death. You know, the example of Jesus tells us this. Humility is a choice. It's not a characteristic of your personality, or that something that we can see necessarily. Sometimes we think, oh, that person's so humble. What do we mean by that? Well, they look a bit like this. And, oh, yeah, mm, you'll go. Oh, no, you're not me. No, it's a choice. And the choice that Jesus made was not about, oh, Jesus is such a humble person. It wasn't a personality trait. It was an act. He humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. So his act of humility required him to go, not just, I won't grasp at this, but I will follow this path. And I will follow it to its end. Not only to the end of my life, but to the most humiliating kind of death I could face. I will follow it to there. That's humility. That's what gospel humility is. Gospel humility is not just a term that we use. It's not just a a, a thing that we say for people who look kind of humble. It's an act. It's a decision. It's an intentional, humble act of obedience. That's what Jesus did. And that is what this passage says, we are to have this mind among ourselves. Yeah? So we are to follow his example. Not grasp, humble. Humble is an act. I will be obedient even unto the end. Not just when it suits. I won't even pretend to you that, oh, I'm humble. Oh, I get it. I'm not, you know, or I'm not humble. I recognise I'm not humble. Sometimes it's very disarming to admit you've got, mis- you've got, you've got weaknesses. I can admit weaknesses to you, and that can be quite disarming. But it doesn't mean I'm changing. It doesn't mean I'm following. It was an intentional, humble act. It's that simple, humble act of obedience which leads to the gospel. At some point in heaven, Jesus said to his father, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll go. At some point in Gethsemane, Jesus bowed his head and he said again to his father, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. You realise fundamentally at the core of the gospel is humility. It's a choice. But to be honest, it's not just a choice. Because sometimes we don't choose the humble way, but we still become humbled. Yeah? God humbles us through our circumstances, through our situations. It, it, it says, I can't remember where it says, I think it says it in Peter, but I can't remember. It says, you will either, that Jesus is a rock of offence, you will either fall on that rock and be broken, or that rock will fall on you and be crushed, and you'll be crushed. One is, I will fall on the rock. I will bow the knee now. I will do that. The other is, you will do that. <laughs> There'll come a day when you will do that. Whether whether you want to choose it or not, there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God will bring us to that point or we will choose to come to that point. 
thankfully, if you're a believer here, you've chosen to come to that point of accepting humility, gospel humility. But the challenge for many of us is this. We can sometimes see the level to which Jesus wants us to do stuff, this humble, obedient act to the very end. We can sometimes think of that as the optional extra. I'm a Christian, I come to church, I love Jesus. There are some Christians and they're like, they're really, really into it. They're really like devoted. I'm not quite there, but you know, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. Do you know what? Had Jesus not done what he did, he would not have achieved what he achieved. Before Jesus came to earth, he sat with his father in heaven as God. That's what the Bible tells us. He was up there. He was with him. It says he was with him at the beginning when he created the world. Jesus was there. But do you know what? It required Jesus to come to earth. It required Jesus to go through all that he went through for him to get the exaltation that he got at the end. And he was more exalted at the end than he was at the beginning. The Jesus that you find after the therefore here is a very different Jesus to the Jesus that you find at the beginning. But because of his act of humility, because of his act of obedience, this is what the Bible says, therefore God. The Bible is full of therefores. It's full of you do this, you do this, you do this. It seems really difficult, really hard, really whatever. But actually, you do all of this and there's a reason. Behind it, God is doing something else. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Please let me be able to read this. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, for the joy set before him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In some ways, it summarises in one verse what Philippians 2, 5 to 11 is trying to say. That Jesus didn't do it just because he was forced to do it. He did it for the joy. He did it because he knew there was something else behind it. That there was greater glory in in his humble in himself than there was in him not doing that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Endure says to us that it was painful, it was difficult. What he had to go through was not easy, but he endured the cross. Then it says he scorned its shame. He scorned its shame. How many of us scorn shame? We don't scorn shame, we hide from shame. I don't want to be shamed. That's the last thing you want to be. But Jesus was like, I don't care about the shame. I look down upon the shame. Why? For the joy. The joy that was set before me. And because of that, because he took that act, it says of him, it says, God says of him, therefore God has highly exalted him. Why? Because there is this principle in the kingdom of God that is part of the village and the principle is this. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's a principle. That's not just like a phrase. but It's a phrase that Jesus used, but it's a principle in the same way that there is a principle that says, whatsoever you sow, you will reap. 
We believe that one. We'll believe this one. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's a principle of the kingdom of God. Humble yourselves, and God will exalt you. That's what Jesus did. He humbled himself, and God exalted him. And do it for the joy do it for the glory to come. Now, I can say that, and, and Pauline can sit there and go, I mean, you're not great at that, the joy thing. <laughs> yeah? You're not great at that. But I'm just telling us what the Bible says. I'm not even trying to make it up. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And what is the challenge to me, as much as it is to you, for the joy set before him he endured? We're not enduring the cross. But some of us are enduring stuff. Are you enduring for the joy set before you? Or are you enduring because you think that's the duty of the Christian? If you endure because of the duty of the Christian, it won't last. Because you can't do it. But Jesus has made a way for us to be able to do it ourselves. And this idea of humility is something that should be among us. God exalted him. And that's a promise. Humble yourself, he'll exalt you. How many of us want to, you want to fulfill all that God has for you? Just put your hand up. If you want to fulfill all that God has for you. Okay, we we all do. So what that means is there are times when we have to humble ourselves. children (laughs) I understand that and so that and so coming back to our idea of the village this kingdom value must be at the heart of it because this kingdom value is what opens the gospel up Jesus helped the poor Jesus did miracles Jesus did many many things but the thing that really opened it up was he humbled himself He endured the cross. Because in the end, if he hadn't gone to the cross, the truth is, Jesus would have been just a nice guy who did lots of nice things. Miraculous, but nice things. It was because he went to the cross that he made the way possible for this new kind of kingdom, for this new kind of people to emerge. And though we don't know in the 21st century exactly what that looks like, What we do know is if we ask God, and Phil talked about praying and not giving up praying, we want to pray for healing, but you know what? We want to pray for the establishment of a church that's like this. You want to pray for that. Don't just go, oh, yeah, that's a really big thing. I don't know how we're going to do that. Oh, we're going to pray. That's what we're going to do. How are we going to do it? We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to bring about the kind of kingdom that he would want us to have. Amen? Okay, I'm going to ask uh, Ruth and Josh just to come, come back. Is it 10 to, it's not 10 to 11, is it, is it 10 to 12? Yeah. Okay, okay, sorry. The clock's... Uh... So we're going to sing one of the songs that they sang earlier where it has that line, Jesus is calling, I come to the altar. I come to the altar. And we're going to respond with this song and my encouragement to you is to respond in a way that, ref- that reflects your desire to be humble. That you would make a choice to humble yourself. 
whatever that means. You, you know where you're prideful. Don't, don't just admit your pride. It, do you know what? It's easy to admit pride. It's much more difficult to then humble yourself as a result of that. Don't just admit your pride. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And in due time, he will raise you up. Because in the economy of God, those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's part of it. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And if you want prayer this morning, you, can, you just can come out here. I know Phil's around, Pauline's around, and we can get people to pray for you if, if you want to do that this morning, if you want to work through something. But let's just pray together. Maybe we lift our hands as we say, Father, we, we look again at the example of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We look again at, at the encouragement of Paul, who says you are to have this mind among yourselves. We look at the encouragement of Hebrews where it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And this morning we do that. And we recognise that there is something in us that needs to humble ourselves, that we need to choose to do that. It's an act of our will. And Father, I thank you that that, that uh, for those of us who are here who, who know you, that we have already taken that step of humbling ourselves. But Lord, there's always more. There was more than one occasion where Jesus had to make an intentional act of humility and obedience. Right to the very end, he was humbling himself. So I pray, Father, that you would do something in us that builds a community where you dwell. And it builds a community where at the heart of it is this idea of humility, gospel humility. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.